0: Hello, everybody, and good afternoon, and welcome back to another edition of the Mike Sports Roundup here on WSJU Radio, live on iHeartRadio, here on this April 4th edition. I'm Michael Zabo, once again back here, and unfortunately had to miss last week. Looks like I caught a stomach bug that the, the U.S. men's national team, I guess, had on their last qualification tour, but we are all good now and good to go once again for this week. Uh, We'll talk more about the U.S. men's national team later on as they qualified for the 2022 FIFA World Cup in U.S. soccer. There, we'll talk about them a little bit later. Uh, We'll talk, we got a lot of March Madness to cover. Fantastic Final Four weekend, uh, especially that Duke, North Carolina game ahead of a fantastic national championship matchup we got tonight, the final day of the college basketball season. Uh, We'll talk, uh, we'll open up the show with that in just a couple of moments i will we'll catch up on a little bit of the NFL due to the recent absences that I had last week and everything meant to get to this, uh, but a lot of movement in the NFL, a lot of shocking moves, a lot of big moves. i uh, will get my reactions, uh, or very late re- reactions on those uh, a little later on in the show, and of course, this week is also Major League Baseball opening day. Um, uh, a little bit more delayed than usual thanks to the lockout, but... After that had all gotten settled last month, uh, we're all just about set and ready to go. So this week, opening day will begin. We'll have a full 162 games. I'll quickly uh, talk about that as the Yankees and Mets get underway this Thursday. Uh, But first, before we get started today, make sure to follow my Twitter page at underscore msportsroundup and my Instagram page at Michael underscore Zabo to follow all the updates regarding the show and when they're... ...posted to our podcast platforms. You can also follow this show on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Each and every episode is up there. As well as you can also listen to us every Monday uh, this semester... ...here live on WSJU Radio, live on iHeartRadio... ...every Monday from 1 to 2 p.m. So let's get right underway. We head over to March Madness. Uh, this week, and we had Kansas and Villanova... ...and Duke, North Carolina in the final four um start off with Kansas Villanova uh Villanova as we've seen the last couple of years really the only big East team getting to that final four stayed the last big East team remaining uh, getting this far um took down uh, Houston in the elite eight uh, to get to this point and they took uh, but unfortunately did not have enough to take down Kansas, lost 81-65, to of course, the big storyline coming into today was the ruptured Achilles injury to uh, guard uh, Justin Moore, The fantastic one-two punch that him and Colin Gillespie create for the Villanova Wildcats, missing with Justin Moore out, that was a massive miss for them, the, the, the storyline going in was how, were they going to compensate for it, uh, would they be able to still be able to beat Kansas? and their firepower that they have and the answer was no. It, Kansas had a, just dominated from the beginning to the end. There was a period where Villanova looked like they were going to come back, but this was a wire to wire victory for Kansas, never trailed in the game. At one point led Villanova by 19. But listen, we all know how great Jay, uh, at this point we all know how great of a coach that Jay Wright is for Villanova and he, he, you know, no matter who's injured, he's playing on a shorter rotation this season, all this sort of stuff, he's still able to find a way at least to get put his team in position, and it looked like this was going to be a real snoozer of a Final Four game, uh, Kansas going to just run away with it, 20 plus points, at one point they're up 19, and then Villanova just grabbed some momentum toward the end of the first half and a bit into the second, where they, they went on a bit of a run, uh, ended off the half down 11, then Kansas stretched the lead back out again, then you had a really big run where Villanova closed it down to a six-point uh, gap, and you thought the Wildcats were going to come back then, but just every time Villanova had an answer in that game, Kansas had a, uh, an equally better counterpunch for them, and they ultimately come away with the win to head to the national championship. Colin Gillespie had 17 points <clears throat> in his final collegiate game. Uh, it's a fantastic five-year career that he had with Villanova that uh, featured a championship uh, and national championship in 2018, so he's now done at Villanova a, a, so- a really good performance uh, from him in a loss in his final collegiate game. Uh, Brandon Slater also had 16 in the absence of Justin Moore. Uh, but as I said, the Villanova just could not compensate for his absence Score uh, enough scoring wise. And really on the defensive, and the story of the game was David McCormick for Kansas, this the center for Kansas, just absolutely dominated the game in that matchup with him and Eric Dixon. McCormick went for 25 points, was just an absolute menace for Villanova in the paint, especially early on, that he really helped uh, get Kansas out to that early lead. Um, and uh, Kansas just never looked back. But Dixon had a really tough time dealing with him. McCormick just absolutely dominated uh, the matchup. Uh, Ochai Abaji had 21 points on 6 of 7 shooting. Really efficient uh, day from him. And, and that was and Kansas really did all this without Remy Martin producing a lot uh, Christian braun I believe had just uh, Christian Brown I believe only had like 10 points although he had the big dagger uh, turnaround three fantastic shot that was so you feel like Kansas really they weren't even firing on all on all cylinders numbers wise what you know, what Remy Martin could be able to do or Christian Brown can be able to do. I um, think there's uh, more of a gear that Kansas can hit going into tonight. Uh, we'll, talk, we'll circle back to them in a sec, but let's move over to Duke and North Carolina. The matchup really lived up to the hype. All these years, all these decades, Duke and North Carolina faced faced off against each other. Matchups that have featured future NBA All-Stars, future NBA Hall of Famers, um, great coaches down the line, whether it was Dean Smith way back when, Coach K throughout these last 42 years uh, on the sidelines for Duke, whether it was Roy Williams uh, for North Carolina most recently, now this year Hubert Davis executing a fantastic late season run and as an 8 seed has North Carolina all the way through to the national championship. It's just, it was a fantastic matchup that lived up to all of its hype that Duke all Duke and North Carolina, all of these years that they've been going against each other in one of the most, in the biggest rivalry in collegiate sports and certainly one of the best rivalries in all of sports, uh, never had gone up against each other in the NCAA tournament. So this matchup had even more of a spice to it. Um, and it lived up to the hype. North Carolina um, comes out with a 4.81-87 to 87 victory, a game that was back and forth from the beginning. Uh, Caleb Love had, tw- uh, uh, had led the game with 28 points for North Carolina. Uh, Armando Bacot with yet another double-double, 11 points, 21 rebounds before he fouled out late on. Paolo Bancaro for Duke had 20 points. Trevor Keel surpri- with the surprising 19 points, but unfortunately Duke comes up short. And that is it for Coach K's career. Um, you know, I, I, listen, I think Coach K's career and legacy is absolutely cemented. None of this can be disputed. I'm not going to sit here for the next 20 minutes and serenade Coach K and uh, a fantastic career he's had. Everything that has been said, whether it's on this NCAA tournament run, this farewell tour of a year or years before, everything ha- that can be said has been said. So, my abbreviated version is: Coach K has been a fantastic coach o- over the years. Forty-two years under Duke ha- has been absolutely amazing. The way he's built Duke, the way they continue uh, the continued sustained success they've had. Over the years, the impact that Coach K has had on college basketball and having a hand in growing this game over the over the last few decades, an absolutely fantastic career. Bar none, arguably the greatest coach in college uh, sports of all time. Fantastic career to him. But going out like this where North Carolina really gets the last laugh being the ones one to end the storybook, uh, to stop the storybook ending, uh, to be the one to end Coach K's career. Um, There's just something of a last laugh in that rivalry for that. That's a real notch on North Carolina's belt in terms of the rivalry. Unless these two sometime in the future, based on how the bracket works out, meet up in the national championship, i don 't know if there i don 't think there's a better win in the rivalry than you can have as what North Carolina did on on Saturday night beating beating Duke for the right to move on to the national championship even if even if North Carolina loses tonight. I know Duke fans want to say well it doesn 't mean as much if North carolina don 't finish the job. hell yeah, it still means a lot like this is the greatest win that they have had in Uh, that any, you would have said the same for Duke. I would have said the same for Duke if they would have come out uh, with the win on Saturday night. It's the greatest win in that rivalry that anybody can have, and I don't know if you could really top it unless these two face off in a national championship in the future, and, you know, whoever gets the spoils from that, that would be a better, uh, an even better win, but North Carolina, I mean, has the best win that you could possibly have in this uh, in this rivalry, they've never matched up in the NCAA tournament with each other. Two hundred fifty-seven times over their history, they've gone against each other. Never have met up in the in the in March Madness. They did so Saturday night, and North Carolina comes out with the Final Four victory to head to the national championship. I don't think there's a better uh, there. There's no better victory in this rivalry than that. Um, And and it's just that element of a last laugh in this rivalry as Coach K now exits stage left. Um, So I I know that was a conversation uh, as well afterward. Um, A a controversial point was um, Duke, uh, they had a potential N1 opportunity with about 15 seconds left. I forget uh, who from Duke was driving in. Uh, uh, There was a foul. Everybody was saying, based on continuation, the basket should have counted. That would have made it, uh, with the made free throw, would have made it a 79 all game with, 15, with about 13 seconds left in regulation. Um, who knows what would have happened then? But honestly, I think the right call was made that it was an on-the-floor foul rather than uh, you a know, basket and one opportunity. The contact starts before. Uh, uh, the shooter went into his motion. Uh, this it's We're not going... Bu- in the NBA, that probably would have been a an N1 opportunity based on continuation or whatnot. College does not work the same way. The contact was initiated before the guy went into his motion. That's not an... It wasn't an N1. It was an on-the-floor foul. It was a correct call. And even so, I never like to get in those situations because, yes, I mean... They 12 seconds is 12 seconds, but still, in college basketball terms, that's still plenty of time to do something. You know, as much as we could go back and forth on this, if Duke still got the n one in that situation, they get the continuation call, they make the free throw, it's a tie game, who's to say North Carolina still wouldn't have gone down the other end and had a buzzer beater? You know, so I don't always like getting into those sort of conversations, but... Um, it was a really intriguing game that really lived up to its hype in the Superdome. Um, but North Carolina comes away with the win. So tonight we have a great title matchup. Final day of the college basketball season. Who is going to be crowned national champion, Kansas or North Carolina? Uh, this is the Roy Williams Bowl. You know, Roy Williams got, you know, really got on to the big time as the coach of Kansas, then moved over to North Carolina and had an equally legendary uh, career with the Tar Heels. Uh, So this is the Roy Williams Bowl or whatnot. Dean Smith, way back when, obviously a longtime coach of North Carolina. Um, Roy Williams was an assistant under. Dean Smith was an alumni of Kansas, so even more roots into this matchup tonight. Um, I think it's going to be a pretty good game. Um, I think Kansas winds up coming out in this in this uh, in this game. The matchups to really look out for the the biggest matchup that is really going to be talked about in this game is is the the matchup between the two centers, Armando Baycott and David McCormick. Baycott, the ACC Player of the Year, had another uh, pretty great performance against Duke, although he did have to work around foul trouble. Eventually, fouled out late. Um, And you have David McCormick, who's absolutely fantastic against Villanova on Saturday. As I mentioned before, went for 25 points, really dominated the game, has really started to come into his own as the season has gone along, and certainly into this tournament run for the Jayhawks. So that's going to be a really interesting matchup. But I I really think also a matchup that should be talked about is the guard play. Caleb Love and R.J. Davis have both had stellar tournaments. You put Remy Martin, Christian Brown on the other side, that's going to be a really great matchup. Those sets of guards going up against each other. The real key in this matchup is can Armando Baycott stay out of foul trouble? It's shown when Baycott is off the floor, North Carolina is much more vulnerable defensively. Much more vulnerable as a team. Not saying that they're bad, but you certainly have an advantage there if you're Kansas. Something there much more to exploit. Uh, and I think that they would be a lot more vulnerable. Baycott really had to struggle with that. I believe he had two fouls at halftime. And I had to work through that as the second half went along. I believe he was playing on four fouls. For quite a couple of uh, minutes to- down the stretch. So, if you're Kansas, you get Armando Bacot into, f- you go right at him, you get him into foul trouble early. I think that that's a huge advantage to Jayhawks, big trouble uh, for North Carolina. I don't think they can contend with Kansas as much if Bacot's in foul trouble. He's a massive, massive key to them. The X factor tonight is really Brady Manick. I've spoke about it, Caleb Love went for 28 points against Duke. He's had a really good tournament. R.J. Davis, the White Plains New York native, has absolutely been showing out as well. Brady Manick, I think, uh, it can be a real X factor, shown the ability to really sh- to really stroke it from deep, uh, hit some big three-point shots, and that win over Duke in the Final Four on Saturday night. Uh, how how he plays defense against Jalen Wilson, some of these taller guards uh, for Kansas, these really ath- uh, uh, some of these taller athletic guards for Kansas um, this is really going to be an intriguing, uh, intriguing matchup to watch. But I think Manic can be uh, a real X factor as well. Should be a really intriguing matchup. But I think Kansas winds up winning by five. Um, but like I said, should be an interesting matchup tonight. Um, yeah, one seed versus eight seed, even though they're all blue bloods, this was probably the blue bloodiest final four that we've seen in a while, North Carolina didn't have that same feel of being a blue blood as much this year, since they were an eight seed, had a very up and down regular season, then of course, you know, went on a nice run to end the year, and then through the uh, NCAA tournament to get to here, so they're, they're not the top uh, top four seed, they're an eight seed, but still a blue blood uh, in this final four now in this national championship. But uh, should be intriguing. Uh, Kansas trying to win its first national championship in 14 years, um, you know, which is kind of sh- shocking when you think about it. You think a program like Kansas, a blue blood like that, that kind of feels long for a blue blood like them. Uh, Bill Self has said ahead of the final four that. You know this can, uh, Kansas needs to start getting back to winning national championships. So we'll try and uh, do so tonight. I remember the last time got thwarted back in 2012. They were in this matchup. Um, they lost to the Anthony Davis-led Kentucky. Um, so trying to uh, avenge that defeat, get a chance, uh, get back to the mountaintop tonight against North Carolina. I predict they will do so. We'll see what happens tonight at 9:20 Eastern Time as March Madness concludes tonight. But moving now over to the NFL as we do a little bit of catch-up here with some uh, big-time moves that have happened around the National Football League in the last couple of weeks. Um, some shocking stuff. We're going to break it down. Let's start first here with some of the more shock, some of the probably the most shocking move for me of the offseason. Uh, Deshaun Watson, we knew he was going to get moved, but he gets traded to the Cleveland Browns. Houston sends a 2024 six-round pick, and uh, and Watson as well uh, in the trade. Uh, The Browns send over five picks, three of them first-rounders to Houston. Uh, Baker Mayfield is kept out of the deal. I'll talk about his side of this whole saga in just a moment, but after the trade, the Browns inked Deshaun Watson to... A new five-year, two hundred million-dollar, fully guaranteed contract extension, um, which certainly generated a lot of buzz around the league. I mean, two hundred and thirty million dollars, fully guaranteed—that's by far and away the highest amount of guaranteed money ever in NFL history. And he's been. This is happening right after. Uh, it sounds like there's not enough charges. Um, there's not enough evidence to convict, um, in a, uh, to criminally uh, not convict, to, send, to, to uh, send the sexual assault claims that are against Deshaun Watson to trial. Uh, grand jury said that, but there's still a civil uh, civil suits that have to be uh, addressed and I guess pleaded in court would be the term. Um, so there's still some uh, some of the legal issues surrounding those uh, harassment cases still surrounding Watson, but it's it looks like he will not be criminally charged. But I think something sits with it's not illegal or or whatnot, but I think something will sit you know the wrong way with you um, or something should. I think at least with me, it's six. It, it yeah you, you really. What I want to say is you really... Something bothers you really about the fact that... Yeah, okay, he yes, he's not going to be criminally punished, criminally charged, and whatnot. Doesn't mean he's not guilty. But it, there's just something that bother that would bother me... About him getting the highest guaranteed contract in NFL history... Right when all of this, you know, cloud is hanging over. Still has to be, you know... Uh, civilly, uh, it's still going to go through a civil lawsuit. Yes, he's not getting uh, a criminal charge against him, but like I said, that does not always mean that he's not guilty. And um, there's just not enough to prove uh, it in a criminal trial beyond the shadow of a doubt term. So something just bothers me about that. But nonetheless, he's the Cleveland Browns uh, quarterback for the future, signed to a new big-time contract. Um... You know, recent behavior or alleged behavior um, aside, which sometimes the NFL has a habit of shifting aside, but we, that's where we are. Um, so yeah, Watson out of uh, after missing last year, um, waiting and wondering to see if this case would go to a trial. It does not. Now he gets traded. Uh, looks like uh, won't. Uh, looks like he won't get any punishment from the league's office as well. Um, so it looks like he'll probably be good to go um, next year. Now with the Cleveland Browns, um, once again, um, still staying in the NF, uh, still staying in the AFC, in a very loaded AFC conference. Um, okay, this this is something that the Browns needed to do in the Browns' perspective. Uh, uh, listen, they sent out a really strange letter about how they extensively looked into all of the situations around. Them. I I don't buy that they've looked into anything, which which bothers me. Like, listen, we all know you didn't look that much into it. You just know that Deshaun Watson is an absolutely fantastic football talent. You know, who cares about the rest? That's the Browns' uh, look at it, or any NFL uh, team's view of it. Uh, they just saw that point. I wish sometimes teams were more honest with that. Um, but I I don't think there was an extensive ooh, transparency process. We got to look into this and what's going on with that. Is a it sound the it's pretty much put out there. He's he's available now. He's good to go. Go ahead, let's trade for him. The Browns needed to make a move. Baker Mayfield was not cutting it in terms of the football sense. Let's look at the football sense now. Um, Baker Mayfield was not cutting it for the Cleveland Browns. His star has dramatically fallen this is a team that's ready to contend the amount of draft picks that they've spent on their defense their secondary especially uh, they've got good weapons around the team even with Odell Beckham Jr. gone what's going to happen with uh, Jarvis Landry Um, that's a that's another um, you know that's another thing to ponder and wonder where what's going to happen there Um, but they're they have Kareem Hunt. Um, you got Nick Chubb. They've got decent weapons surrounding Watson. So, you know, here they they really need a, another jolt back to life after Baker Mayfield looked like he was playing really well, led this team to a, a wild card appearance, nearly beat the Chiefs uh, just two years ag- uh, now two years ago. They need a jolt back into life, back into contention. Into what's going to be a tough division, going to be a tough conference, they needed to make this sort of move. Watson, you know, behavior aside, I guess now he's available. They make this big move. Um, For Baker Mayfield's side of things, um, you know, like I said, he's a guy, his star has absolutely fallen. And he's a guy that needs to go somewhere where, uh, to a team where the quarterback situation is not really set and he can be able to compete for a starting spot. I think Pittsburgh, in their same division, Pittsburgh is an option. I get Pittsburgh signed Mitchell Trubisky, but that's not locking down your position. They know that uh, Mason Rudolph, Devlin Hodges behind them, That that's not the answer for them at the quarterback position long term. Mitchell Trubisky someone who's had experience as a starter, backed up Josh Allen last year in Buffalo, so bring him in, try and continue to evaluate the position. Pittsburgh, I wouldn't be surprised, will probably draft a quarterback in the first round, maybe trade up in the draft. We've heard uh, whispers about Malik Willis, so do they go there, or do they, they take in Baker Mayfield, have a bit of a competition? If I were Pittsburgh, I'd, I'd opt for the draft, but just looking at Baker Mayfield's uh, situation, that could be a spot um, that I would also see the Atlanta Falcons as a spot. The Falcons signed Marcus Mariota. We'll talk about that in a sec, but um, the quarterback position is still really open there. I think that could be an option for Mayfield. I think the best position really is Seattle for him, where where he would compete with Drew Locke. Go to the NFC, just like with the Falcons' option. Go to the NFC, get out of a loaded AFC conference. Go to the NFC onto a Seahawks ke- team that is all over the place in terms of they've you know moving on from Russell Wilson. Um, you know, uh, star linebacker Bobby Wagner left. What's their defense going to look like? There's still a lot of holes on that team with their offensive line, um, some parts their defense. Um, but they still uh, there's a lot of uncertainty surrounding is DK. Metcalf or Tyler Lockett going to be traded or are they holding on to those pieces? So there's a lot of uncertainty there in Seattle, but I think they could lock uh, not lock down the position. I think they could bring in some competition do good to bring in some competition in Baker Mayfield, um, compete with Drew Locke. I think he'd have a real good chance to earn that starting spot and then go from there. I think that would be uh, what's best for both sides, really, in Mayfield situation. Uh, move on now. Devontae Adams got traded to the Las Vegas Raiders for a first and second round pick sent back to Green Bay. And he right after he gets traded, Adams uh, signs a five-year uh, contract extension with the Raiders valued at $28 million per year. Uh, $67.5 of that deal f- is fully guaranteed. Um, shock, absolutely shocking move. Uh, we thought for a long time that the speculation surrounding Aaron Rodgers, will he or won't he come back this season to Green Bay? We thought a lot of what Devontae Adams' future looked like was going to depend on Aaron Rodgers. That was what the reports were saying. That's what it seemed like what was going to happen but not the case as Adams really expressed to Green Bay that he was not going to play out this season on the franchise tag. His free agency impending said he's not going to play in the franchise tag whatsoever. In the past, doing that has been a real curse for wide receivers. Um, you get injured in the franchise tag year, and then you, you lose out on a contract in free agency. Um, so it's been a curse beforehand, so didn't want to do that, wanted to lock down a long-term deal. Now, looks like there was no momentum in terms of talks. Um, he was determined, I guess, to, to hold out if that's what it came to. Um, but in, instead, Green Bay just uh, you know cuts its losses and sends Devontae Adams over to Las Vegas and the AFC with the Raiders. I mean, fantastic ad for the for the Las Vegas Raiders. Uh, first on the Green Bay Packers side of things. I mean, how funny is it? You know, Aaron Rodgers, this whole drama, this whole saga, we all thought, okay, Devontae Adams is going to come back if Aaron Rodgers comes back. It's going to be seamless. Uh, uh, you know, the band's going to be back together once again and move along from there. Once, uh, once uh, Aaron Rodgers... And the Green Bay Packers announced that he'd be back we'd figure that would happen, but instead you know the the timing the the timing of how long it took Green Bay to spend their energy convince Rogers to come back, they lost out a lot of time to negotiate a deal with Adams. they came right up against the the deadline uh, where they had you had to give a franchise tag um Obviously, you you weren't going to give him the franchise tag because Adams said he wouldn't wouldn't play on it. So um, you you know you lost out on that time to negotiate a long-term deal with Adams, and instead uh, they just cut their losses and trade him. Which I'm I'm shocked the Packers really traded him. If I were the Packers, you franchise tag him, give yourself some more time to negotiate a long-term deal. Um, really make him sweat. A little, maybe not even give him a franchise tag. Just make him sweat a bit. Um, if he did want to hold out, you, you you keep on letting it go till the draft or whatnot. You know, make him, make him sweat a little bit. Um, try and gain some leverage in negotiations rather than you know they just trade him right away, cut their losses, and they get a first and a second round pick back in exchange, they'll probably draft a wide receiver, I'm guessing, with um, their first round pick. I believe the Packers have like four or five uh, picks uh, between the later first round and like the early third round or something, and the top 60 picks or something like that, I believe they have four or five picks, something like that. Um, So now they have a little bit of draft capital, uh, the Packers built in. so I think somewhere there they'll probably draft Adams' replacement, but what a massive blow to the Packers. That, I mean, Rogers, I'm sure, too, was a little bit blindsided by all of this. Uh, you know, he, Now he lost out on his top wide receiver partner, Rogers Adams. That connection was absolutely money these last couple of years, and now that's gone. Um, and it's pretty much for the same amount of money that, um, you know, it's not like Las Vegas, you know, absolutely blew Green Bay out of the water in terms of a, a money offer. I think Green Bay was right around that, but um, I, I think they were a couple million off, not that much or or whatnot. But um, I guess it was not enough for Adams, or he just wanted to get out of there in general. Um, but you know, Rodgers' cap hit, you know, hurt hurt them a bit too, um, in terms of what they could do. Uh, the Packers, and then of course, you know, trying uh, all that time to really negotiate a deal, lost out on the ability to negotiate with Adams. And he goes to the Raiders, and for the Raiders, it's a fantastic move. They get probably arguably the best wide receiver in the game to pair with Derek Carr, and some pretty good options that they have. Uh, they now have a really great receiving core around Derek Carr. With now you've got Adams, got Hunter Renfro, uh, you got. Um, Darren Waller, great tight end. Uh, Josh Jacobs, a really good running back. Um, you know, solid defense led by Max Crosby, uh, the pass rusher. Um, th- this is going to be a really, a really good Las Vegas Raiders team. A really in a really good division. The AFC West is going to be the best division in football next year. It's going to be absolutely exciting. Uh, top to bottom, all four teams in that division re- going for it. Um, we'll get to the Broncos in a sec with their big move, but I mean that that should be a really uh, intriguing um, uh, division. And uh, you know the Chargers also upgrading, uh, getting some big um, acquisitions on defense, improving there. So this. This, that division is going to be absolutely amazing. And it will be a shame that probably one team will be left out uh, of the playoff running. Um, but yeah, big move there. Devontae Adams uh, to the Las Vegas Raiders. And then staying in the AFC West, another big time move. And that was the Kansas City Chiefs trading Tyree Kill to the Miami Dolphins in exchange for five picks coming back to Kansas City. And immediately after the deal, Miami inks Tyreek Hill to a four-year, four-year, one hundred twenty million dollar extension, uh, with seventy-two million of that fully guaranteed. Um, shocking! Uh, this new this news really developed quite quickly. It was a week and a half or so ago. Uh, it kind of developed all in a really crazy flurry. Um, you know, just. You know, just one morning, a week, a week and a half or so ago, um, if I'm correct, uh, you know, the news just started coming up in the morning that you know talks between Tyree Kill and and the Chiefs on a long-term deal are stalling, not progressing. Looks like there may be a trade. Jets fans were for a time were starting to live in dreamland that they had a chance to land Tyree Kill, one of the best wide receivers in the league. It looked like. It was pretty much down to the Jets and the Dolphins and trade talks, uh, and for people who are saying Joe Douglas, the the New York Jets general manager, didn't do enough to try and go out and and acquire Tyreek Kill, he did absolutely enough. Kansas City accepted the deals from both New York and Miami. From the From both the Jets and the Dolphins, they accepted both deals. So they obviously liked what they were getting back in both deals. It was ultimately Hill's choice of where he wanted to go. And when asked the question of how close the decision was, he said, The Jets? Who? And so it was was Miami all along. um, And so instead of the Jets uh, fans starting to live in dreamland about getting one of the best wide receivers... Uh, in the game, they now have to figure out a way to stop him twice a year uh, this upcoming season and for the next four years now that he's got that big extension. (coughs) So yeah, Tyreek Hill now joining the Dolphins. Another really great wide receiver core to help out Tua Vailova. You got Hill, now you got Jalen Waddell. You got a pretty good duo there. Um, Devontae Parker is now gone to the New England Patriots. He's been traded, um, which a really good pickup there for the Patriots. Good set of pass catchers that they have over there in New England setting up around Mac Jones uh, for next year. Really solid group there uh, in New England. Um, uh, Tyree Kill and the Dolphins, good duo, I think, with him and Waddle. Uh, a lot will hinge around the development of Tua Tagovailoa. He's had a lot of issues with injuries, had a lot of issues with accuracy, but under Brian Flores, seemed like he was improving, the team was going somewhere, had two winning seasons, then of course, the whole debacle of him getting fired this offseason, now you have Mike McDaniel coming in, interesting to see what that Dolphins offense will be under new offensive minded head coach in McDaniel, who's coming over from the 49ers system, and we know how great Kyle Shanahan is as an offensive innovator and that whole system there in San Francisco. Uh, So we'll see. A really interesting move there. I mean, for the Chiefs, this is what happens when you had to sign Patrick Mahomes to a 10-year, $500 million contract. And, you know, Mahomes carries a cap hit of $50 million on your cap. It's a lot to hold on your cap. This is what happens. You're going to have to, to, when you're in a hard cap sport and you sign your quarterback to a contract like that, so what's going to happen is you're going to have to let a talent uh, like Tyreek Hill go with the money that he wanted uh, uh, to get, to get paid. So uh, it's going to be interesting the narrative around Patrick Mahomes is that we know he's a great quarterback. For all these years, that, that dynamic, that duo but between him and Tyreek Hill has been so fantastic uh, for these last couple of years that Mahomes has come up in the league. Now the question will be, how well will Mahomes do without Hill? How well? How good will that offense continue to be? The, converse, uh, the connection now really is Patrick Mahomes to Travis Kelsey, but what else is going to surround uh, that uh, uh, Mahomes and that offense. Uh, how how are they going to really replace the production of Tyreek Hill, if not at least with if not with one person at least in the aggregate with a couple of people? They have brought in Juju Smith Schuster from Pittsburgh. <coughs> you got some other guys uh, who are pretty solid as well in the receiving core in Kansas City. So interesting to see. Uh, what takes place there now that Hill is gone from the Chiefs? You also had Matt Ryan traded to the Indianapolis Colts. A uh, very Philip Rivers-esque move for Indiana, uh, for Indianapolis. Um, a very Philip Rivers-esque move that they made a couple of years ago. An aging quarterback, looking, you know, maybe he still has some juice. Put him around a really good offensive line and some solid weapons. Uh, see what they can do, this team should, the the Colts should be a playoff team, I think Matt Ryan can give you enough under this really good offensive line that uh, the Indianapolis Colts have, Um, they got some good pass catchers, you saw Michael Pittman Jr. really uh, start uh, to tap into his potential, Um, T.Y. Hilton when he's healthy is a pretty solid receiver as well, Jonathan Taylor was a borderline MVP candidate with how good he was as a running back last year. They have a good, uh, a pretty solid defense as well. That, that team last year should have made the playoffs instead of having that collapse and debacle in Jacksonville. Um, this team definitely should make a pl- make the playoffs in a, a bit of a weaker division in the AFC South where they're really con- just contending uh, with uh, Tennessee in order to for the division championship and uh, to get to the playoffs, um, so a good move a good move there for Indianapolis, but I think there there was a lot better out there um, last year. You know, there was the talk they should have jumped in more on the Matthew Stafford trade. Um, I think uh, um, I I was kind of surprised they went with this sort of a move, Indianapolis, rather than Jimmy Garoppolo. Uh, Make what you will of Jimmy Garoppolo. He is a winner. He does win you games when he is healthy. Uh, So I thought that would have been the route that the Colts went, but instead they go with Matt Ryan. Uh, A high-risk, kind of high move for uh, a veteran uh, aging out of his prime, trying to squeeze out the last juices like they were with Philip Rivers. Uh, The Falcons, in turn, sign Marcus Mariota to a two-year $18 million deal. Uh, we'll probably bring in somebody either from the draft or I did mention Baker Mayfield earlier to create a competition, but the Matt Ryan error is over in Atlanta. Had a pretty great career there. Uh, see how they move along from now. Carson Wentz now also back in the AFCs with the Washington in the NFC East, excuse me, with the Washington Commanders after that failed the year in Indianapolis where he really didn't look that great most of the time. Um Russell Wilson moved to the Broncos in a stunning deal. Uh, Like I talked about with the AFC West before, just such a fantastic division it's going to be. I think for the Broncos, what's going to be considered a a successful season for them is to get to wildcard weekend to get into the playoffs. In that tough of a division, that would be quite an accomplishment if they can do that. Um, I think they'll be expected over the course of... Uh, of this contract and, and the, the prime years that Russell Wilson still has, probably has about three to four really good prime potential years that he can have. Um, probably at some point in that time, we'll, look, uh, we'll probably be expected to contend for a championship, but at least for this year, uh, would be a successful season is in that really tough division if they could be able to make it to the playoffs. I think Russell Wilson still has plenty to offer. Um, I do not buy that he's a bad quarterback as much. I think he's really, I think at this point, the offensive line in Seattle has really got to him. Listen, his numbers have dipped, no doubt. Um, he's At times, he's either started the year really well and then fallen off, or last year was just almost a really lost year in general uh, with how bad the Seahawks were, and then w- Wilson got injured. Never really seemed like that finger was fully recovered after coming back. Um, so interesting to see what he does and a bit of a refresh now, uh, in Denver with the pretty solid receiving core, pretty good young roster around him. Um, and then of course you got Bobby Wagner going to the Rams, uh, leaving, uh, Seattle, um, going to the Los Angeles Rams, strengthening an already fantastic, uh, defense there. Um, so big move there for the Los Angeles Rams, so. We'll talk more about the NFL, talk about more about the Giants and the Jets in the next coming weeks as uh, the draft is about 24 days away. So we'll talk a little bit more about that in the next coming weeks. Moving on now uh, to U.S. Men's National Team, uh, who we've talked about sporadically on this show as they've gone through uh, their 2022 FIFA World Cup qualifying, uh, CONCACAF qualifying cycle. Um, so... Last Wednesday, the U.S. Men's National Team, U.S. Soccer, officially qualified for the World Cup despite suffering a 2-0 loss on the road to Costa Rica, uh, but they do finish out the cycle sitting in third in the standings on 25 points, Advance, um, advanced to an auto uh, bid qualifying spot based on goal difference. Uh, we're better than Costa Rica based on goal difference. Um, not, it wasn't a fantastic cycle. I think, really, for me, the first reaction on Wednesday night was uh, it left you with a bad taste in your mouth. I think Christian Pulisic and Gio Reyna in their post-game interviews really uh, reflected this well, that, yes, they qualified, but um, you know, just losing in the last game of the cycle, um, you didn't really end off the qualifying cycle on a high note, You know, gave you a bad taste in your mouth, didn't feel great, and you got the feeling that this was a really chaotic cycle. Um, this is a, uh, uh, listen, CONCACAF is tough, no doubt about it, but this was a U.S. men's national team that was extremely talented and probably should should have been better in the, in the standings. Um, we talked about the draw, uh, not being able to beat Canada at home, tying with Canada at home. I think tying with El Salvador away, you look, El Salvador was really bad in the qualifying uh, stages. Um, you know, we're way out of it this year. Um, they tied on the road to El Salvador when they had plenty of chances to win that game, uh, whether it was the loss to Panama, um, you also had that as well. Um, some of those games really come into play of why the U.S. finished in third in the octagonal standings. But hey, They've completed the redemption tour and they're now into the World Cup. So, honestly, as much as I felt the bad taste about, you know, finishing out the qualifying cycle with the loss, really up and down, you know, cycle in terms of, you know, they should, like I said, they should have done better. Um, they could have been better, could have qualified a little bit more with ease. But, you know, they, at the end of the day, and now we've moved on past that they have qualified. The redemption tour has been complete. As much as we criticize Greg Berhalter, whether it's who he calls into the the camps each qualifying window, or his in-game, uh, you know, his lineups or his in-game adjustments, and plenty of that criticism, whether it's coming from me or anybody else out there, is completely valid. They've you still got to credit him and this team. They've done the job. Their mission was to qualify for the World Cup. Avenge. Uh, 2017, where they missed out on qualifying for the World Cup for the first time since 1986. Um, They avenged that whole debacle in 2017-2018, missing out on the 2018 World Cup. They avenged all of that. They're into the 2022 FIFA World Cup in Qatar that will be taking place at the end of the year. At this point, that's what matters. Now, of course, you have the World Cup draw on Friday. Um, where the U.S. was placed into Group B in Qatar, they will take on England, Iran, and either, uh, Wales, Ukraine, and Scotland as, uh, uh, the European region still has a playoff to figure out their last, uh, spot here. Um, so, uh, Wales, Ukraine, and Scotland will fill that final spot, that will be determined in a mini-playoff tournament in June, um. But this is a doable group for the, for the U.S. It's tough. This is the World Cup, but it is tough. Very similar group, honestly, uh, to 2010, where they uh, finished group leaders in a uh, group of, uh, against uh, England, Algeria, and uh, blanking on the other team that was in their group that year in 2010, um, scored a big 1-1 uh, tie against England that was dubbed in the newspapers. A U.S. win, a 1-1 win, um, you know, is how big and historic of a result that was. Um, then they beat Algeria, of course. Um, I'm sorry, I'm blanking on the other team. I think it may have been Ghana in the group, um, in the group that year. Um, and then it was Algeria and the famous last-minute Landon Donovan strike to send them through as group leaders into the round of 16 that year. Um, so this is sort of a similar group again, of course, playing England, harking back once again to that two thousand and ten matchup that I just alluded to, um, where it was one one, uh, Clint Dempsey uh, with a, a shot on Robert Green that he fumbles and it goes into the net uh, to get to have the U.S. steal a point against the likes of Steven Gerrard, Frank Lampard, Wayne Rooney, and the like. Um, so, you know, it should be a really good matchup there. That will uh, The U.S. and England will be the second game of the group stage for the U.S. First up, they'll play Iran on, on the opening day. Um, second game will be against England, which will be on Black Friday. And all the U.S. games in the group stage are at 2 p.m. Fantastic sl- uh, slot for TV time. Uh, fantastic slot should be a massive amount of viewers, especially... For that England game with everybody home, if unless you're shopping uh, for Black Friday at 2 p.m., should be a a really great number in terms of viewership. Um, It should be a really good game. Iran and then either Wales, Ukraine, and Scotland in that group. Like I said, it's going to be a tough group, but it should be really it's doable to advance for the U.S. Interesting to see how they continue to prepare this summer. They, of course, have the nation, the CONCACAF Nations League tournament that will take place in June and July. Greg Berhalter expressing that they'll pretty much be bringing a full strength team uh, for that, which I think is good. I think thanks to COVID and a shortened qualifying cycle, uh, this team hasn't really still been able to fully gel, whether it's because of injuries, like I said, COVID and not having a ton of friendlies. And then this qualifying cycle that's been uh, shortened uh, and condensed. <coughs> I think they need to really have some more time together. So I think it, uh, that that uh, isn't a bad idea to have a full strength lineup for the Nations League although you really wouldn't want to get anybody injured out of the World Cup in November. Um, plus, I think they should really test themselves well in a fr- in bunch of friendlies throughout the summer and early on in the fall. Um... You know, so really interesting to see how they prepare. CONCACAF Nations League draw taking place tonight. Again, that tournament will take place in June and July. But hats off, credit to Greg Berhalter, U.S. men's national team. They've qualified uh, for the World Cup. We'll talk about those guys uh, really in the summer and next semester, really. Um, But, yep, they've qualified and moving on to the World Cup in Qatar. Uh, let's round out to today before we end off the show. Major League Baseball opening day is this Thursday. As uh, they get back, uh, as we get back underway, a little bit later than usual, thanks to the lockout that plagued over the sport this entire winter. That got all settled. That business is all settled and done. A little bit later than usual, but we're having opening day. We're still going to be able to make up. Uh, and have a full 162-game season. That all starts on Thursday. The Yankees will start off in the Bronx against um, against Boston in a three-game set. The Mets, I believe, will take on uh, the Nationals uh, to start off, uh, quickly pulling up uh, their schedule here. Uh, they do start against the Nationals on the road, on Thursday, in a four-game set to start the season, uh, for the Mets, for the Yankees. I mean, it's been an okay off-season. If I had to give it a B, maybe a grade, maybe a B minus, C plus. I think they could have done better this off-season in terms of who they've acquired. They've spent money, no doubt, but they've always seemed to have gone for the cheaper option. But they have upgraded. To say they haven't upgraded would be wrong. They have upgraded. Um, That big deal, uh, Minnesota, um, for Donaldson, Isaac kind of for uh, and then Ben Roedvitt, who is starting the year injured. Uh, Because of that, the Yankees did make a trade this weekend, getting Jose Trevino from the Rangers. Um, They sent Robert Alstrom, minor league reliever, and uh, Albert Abreu off to Texas, which I don't mind that deal at all. Abreu had some real upside, but... Yankees have a really deep bullpen, and Abreu was out of minor league options, so I don't really see the fit on the team. They have to clear space on the 40-man roster. so And Trevino is really good defensively, um, so I think will be a good backup catcher to Higashioka, which we'll see. He's had a really good spring training, uh, Higashioka. Interesting to see if this offensive uh, explosion from him in spring training carries over to the regular season. And if so, that would absolutely be massive for the Yankees in the offense. Uh, they also traded uh, with the Mets. They traded Joeli Rodriguez to the Mets for Miguel Castro. Really like that acquisition. I don't think this acquisition will be or is right now getting talked about enough for the Yankees in that bullpen. And a really good pitcher. with The ability to get into triple digits on his velocity. Um, good depth on his pitches. Really... really I think he was more famous, really, if you're a Yankees fan, watching him pitch with the Baltimore Orioles. For whatever reason, when he'd come on in a late-game situation um, and the game is closer, for whatever reason, the Yankees could never figure him out. Um, So I think he's a really underrated reliever. Um, I think uh, he's a really solid pickup for this uh, bullpen. Uh, Could be a real good contributor this year. but like I said, they've marginally upgraded the infield. Defense is really uh, is really upgraded. Shifting Torres over to, sh- to second; he'll be much better there. Kind of Fluffy, great glove at shortstop. Donaldson solid enough, um, and then you you re-signed Rizzo at first, so should be some solid defense, much better than last year around the infield. Um, so I think they've marginally upgrade uh, upgraded uh, concerns around the pitching. Uh, good option. Uh, to trade for in terms of starting pitching and Sean Manaya uh, went to the San Diego Padres so I think Cashman will go cheaper just find somebody at the deadline for now just hope Luis Severino stays healthy and can grow back into that number two role behind Garrett Cole have some good long relievers behind him as well to reduce his workload and others as well if everybody stays healthy I think it's a decent starting rotation staff for the Yankees, but I think there's uh, the biggest question mark. Upgraded quite a bit off. Uh, uh, upgraded a little bit offensively. Uh, we've seen some good performances in spring training out of Kiner Falefa, out of Donaldson. See if that carries over. Kiner Falefa brings better defense, uh, brings more athleticism on the base paths. He'll steal bases and whatnot. Um, those are things that the Yankees needed to. To bring in this offseason. They have a guy who has those skills. in Kiner-Falefa. So I think they've upgraded. I think they could have upgraded more. But we'll see how it all works out. Um, you know starting this Thursday. We'll talk more about that next week. In the first couple of games. Uh, the Mets having some worrying signs. To start the year. As Jacob deGrom will be declared. Out uh, four to six weeks or so. With the stress reaction and his scapula and his shoulder. Um, so, DeGrom has been has dealt with injury issues the last couple of years. That's a major red flag for the Mets early on. Um, they have some good guys in and around the rotation to cover, but um, not having their ace, that would be a massive blow uh, long-term. And now, of course, I think Matt Scherzer was scratched from his last uh, spring training start with the hamstring issue. He is a doubt for opening day, so... Uh, an even bigger worry there to not only have uh, your big time ace and Jacob deGrom, but your massive uh, uh, off-season acquisition and Matt Scherzer potentially uh, out to start the season. That could be um, an issue for the Mets, who've otherwise on paper had a really good off-season. Maybe could have used another impact bat, but overall have had a really good off-season overall. Mark Hanna, Starling Marte, Eduardo Escobar, Matt Scherzer in there. Uh, Trade for Chris Bassett, which goes under the radar. Um, They've had a pretty good offseason. I think the Mets should definitely be, at minimum, a playoff team. Um, I think could potentially get second uh, in this division, although the Phillies do have a really great great lineup. Uh, I I am a little bit more skeptical of their pitching. Um, But we'll see. Well, We'll talk a little bit more about both teams. After uh, next week, um, talk about some of the first series for them and go in in depth a little bit more on them. But that'll do it uh, for this edition of the Mike Sports Roundup. Thank you, everybody, uh, for tuning in, and uh, have a good day, and we'll see you all back here next week.